We come to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. A very interesting section in Mark, and as I have been preparing and looking at this over the last week in this section, <laughs> I am going to be preaching three sermons. This is the first one just on this section. And the very important uh, verse, one of the crucial verses in all of Mark's gospel, verse 45, I'm going to spend one message just on that verse in itself. So as you let us read this entire context and this section from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on the right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know what those, <coughs> that those who have, are considered rulers of the Gentiles Lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you, for whoever would be great among you must be, must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, there is much instruction from our Savior here in interaction with the disciples Their own praise, their own position of honor is revealed before us in terms of their own desires. Help us to hear what Christ is saying. Help us to understand in our own hearts our own position in the kingdom of God. Help us to understand what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and what our life looks like in that regard. We ask, O oh Lord, your spirit upon us today in terms of your word, 
the word than which is recorded here for us and for our edification. In Christ's name, amen. How often have you engaged in a conversation and it seems that the point you are making is just not registering at all? In fact, you may become frustrated because you think you have made a profound point that needs to be heard and yet you are being ignored by the listener. You may even say to yourself, why are they not listening to me? <laughs> Indeed, this is a common situation in our lives, whether in the conversations of our homes, <laughs> in meeting and a meeting with our coworkers, or our daily engagement with our own friends. This situation is definitely in the flow of Mark's narrative between Christ and his disciples as they make their journey going up to Jerusalem. We have noted continually that the disciples in Mark's narrative are not comprehending the identity and the ministry of Jesus Christ. As Christ leads the path to Jerusalem, the failure to understand Christ's identity and mission becomes more intensified and apparent. As we recall after the first revelation in chapter 8, verse 31, Peter rebuked Christ's comments about his destiny. And Christ responds by rebuking Peter in front of his fellow disciples with these words, Get behind me, Satan. After all, Peter's mind is set upon the things of men, not upon the things of God. Let us not forget that it is in this context that Christ calls the crowd and the disciples together and he places, he places before them what it will mean for the life of the church to be a follower of Jesus Christ a disciple of Christ in his kingdom. Once again, congregation, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Chapter 8, verse 34. Herein is the core of living the Christian life and what the cost of discipleship in Christ's kingdom looks like. Now let us return to the second prophetic revelation of Christ informing the disciples of his path towards his death and resurrection in chapter 9, verse 31. Mark notes that the disciples did not understand what Christ was talking about in that context. Think about it. Think about it. Christ's profound statement about his end, his destiny, is the most important event that will occur in the entire history of the universe. The universe. 
and it passes them by. How important is this? How important is Christ's comment about his journey towards death and resurrection? Let me put it like this. I would venture that every single human being has asked this question in some manner. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Frankly, the meaning of life must begin with coming to grips with the truth of the journey, Christ's journey to Jerusalem that ends with the only possible resolution for humanity's alienation from her creator. That is Christ's crucifixion for sin on the cross in his resurrection victory over sin and death. Well, as the disciples move on after Christ's prophetic second revelation about the future, it is as if he said nothing at that point. It's as if he said nothing there in 931. What discussion did the disciples have at that point? Do you remember? Look at 934 if you forget. They start a discussion about who's the greatest? <laughs> who's the greatest? They're not hearing anything about Christ going to the cross in the resurrection. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest disciple? Herein Christ maps out further the identity of a disciple of Christ and its cost. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Chapter 9, verse 35. Are they listening? He even takes a little child in his arms as a visible illustration of how the last must be a servant of all. Verses 36 and 37 of chapter 9. Now jump to our text this morning. Jump to our text this morning which is right after Christ's most detailed description about his going up to Jerusalem to suffer, be persecuted, and to rise again. Verses 33 and 34 of our text. Has Christ's profound comment about the meaning of salvation caught the eyes of the disciples this time? Well, <laughs> not quite. Not at all. What do you have before us? What do we have before us? We have the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Yes, John, even John, who writes the glorious, that glorious gospel about our Savior. As they address Christ as teacher, their hearts are set upon themselves. James and John want to do want Jesus to do whatever they ask, verse 35. Of course, Jesus responds with the question, once again, it is a sharp response. What do you want me to do for you, verse 36? Could it be, 
<laughs> Could it be? Could it be that James and John want to enter the path of persecution in the age to come unto eternal life? Chapter 10, verse 30. Is that on their mind? Could it be that they will ask to be last and the servant of all? Chapter 9, verse 35. Could that be? Could it be that they will ask Jesus to be received into the kingdom of God like an infant child? Chapter 10, 15. Could it be that they would ask that at this point? <laughs> nope. Not at all. Their minds seem to be stuck upon the mount of Christ's transfiguration. Remember, along with Peter, they, James and John, were handpicked by Christ to see the transfiguration. They sense a special honored position in comparison to the other disciples. And since Moses and Elijah had disappeared before them on the mount, they now want the honor to be seated on Christ's right hand and Christ's left hand when he is glorified as king of his kingdom. Well, <laughs> we could say that at least James and John are putting some things together considering, considering their experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Christ will be glorified. And also by hearing Christ's phrase, the Son of Man from Daniel 7.14, this points to the eventual glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have at least at this point figured out Jesus is going to be glorified. They don't seem to understand how when this is going to take place, or where it is going to take place, perhaps it will occur when they go to Jerusalem. Are their minds thinking that Christ's glory will be set up here on earth? Are their minds set upon the things of men instead of Christ's eternal kingdom? Well, congregation, <laughs> you do not want to miss the logical sequence of Christ's response to their request. You may be thinking that Christ's comments in verse 40 should come right now. That to sit at his right hand and his left hand is not his to grant. That would be the direct and immediate response Christ could give right at this particular moment. But Jesus does not do that at this point. Rather, Christ directs them to his immediate destiny. It is this redemptive destiny 
that Christ must secure in order to be glorified. What Christ is about to place before James and John could be viewed as essentially a fourth, a fourth prophetic revelation about the road going up to Jerusalem. This time he does, he does so by using the metaphors of a cup and baptism. Verse 38 of your text. Furthermore, Christ puts before them his response in a form of a question. A question that is really personalized. Don't miss the personal aspect of this question that he's asking. Are you, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized. We need to stay in the context here in order to understand the two metaphors that Christ is using as he places his question before James and John. Christ is asking whether they are able to participate in the cup that I drink and the baptism which I am baptized. In biblical revelation, the cup can convey the image of blessing. We saw that in our reading this morning. Also, you know of that in your one great psalm, right? Psalm 23, 5. In our context, this is not how Christ is using it. Furthermore, in Old Testament revelation, it is most common use is the judgment of God upon the wicked. We read a section of that from Jeremiah this morning. Again, in our context, James and John cannot execute the divine judgment upon the wicked. In both cases, only Christ can bestow the new covenant divine blessing upon his people through his death and resurrection, as well as take upon himself that once and for all event of God's judgment upon our wickedness. Since these meanings of the cup, of the term cup, cannot apply to the disciples, then how should we view Christ's reference to the cup here? As I have been saying, remain in the context, the flow of Mark's narrative. Look back at chapter 10, verse 33. Remember Christ's words to the disciples? See. See, are they looking? Are they perceiving what Christ is about to say? We, we are going up to Jerusalem. You recall, do you not, from last week's message, that Christ is now including the disciples with him on his path of going up rising up, 
ascent to Jerusalem, a going up that points to Christ's path to resurrection in which the disciples will share with the Son of Man. And that path is clearly stated by Christ to be with persecutions followed by the age to come unto eternal life. Verse 30 of chapter 10. So in Christ's question to James and John, in chapter 10, verse 38, the we in 1033 becomes you. Becomes you in 1038. Directly addressing James and John. But Christ also knows that this question is indirectly addressing all his disciples. And simply, the cup that I drink, what is it? What is it? In this case, in terms of the life of the disciples, the cup that I drink is the cup of persecution, suffering to resurrection. And furthermore, are you, James and John, able to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? In this context, Christ is not pointing back to his baptism by John the Baptist. Rather, he's pointing forward to his baptism in his death and resurrection, which will be the sign and seal of the new covenant of grace upon his children in his church. Now, how does James and John answer Christ's question? <laughs> Look there at verse 39. They say, we are able... We're able to drink of your cup, of your baptism, enter into your baptism. There is no doubt that since they have not comprehending the events that are actually going to occur in Jerusalem, that they are overconfident and truly ignorant about the exact course of their journey, which is about to unfold. Nevertheless, Christ delivers a confident prophetic voice about their union, their union with him. Do not miss how powerful Christ's words are in terms of bringing James and John into his journey to the cross in his resurrection and beyond. It is as if Jesus is taking them into his arms and assuring them that they will enter into the pattern of persecution and suffering to exalted glory. In fact, this is exactly what Christ will do for them by sending the Holy Spirit upon his disciples. However, not only James and John, but the other disciples also will be preserved through Christ's Spirit in their suffering for the glory of Christ's church. After this response of Christ's inclusion of James and John into his path, 
Christ will answer the original question. <laughs> you may have forgotten by now. What was that original question that they asked? <laughs> okay. The grant that the two of them be, have the honored position of being on the right hand and the left hand in glory. Verse 37. Now watch and listen carefully to how Christ finalizes finalizes his response. He brings them into living his cup and baptism, the pathway of persecution unto death followed by resurrection. But the act of granting both of them the honored position on the right and left hands is not his to grant. Jesus points out it is reserved for whom it has been prepared. Verses 39 and 40. Christ doesn't care about those who seek power and status in his church and kingdom who sits with him in the glory of his kingdom is of no concern to him. Nor is he concerned with the infighting among these future apostles or in our world about who is the greatest and those who are seeking the position of honor in his church and kingdom. Oh yes, human nature and its sin is alive in our text as the other disciples become indignant. The word there means angry with James and John for their actions. Are those other disciples make angry because of their own humility? <laughs> oh no, they're jealous for the position of prestige and that they would be so arrogant, James and John, to try to get it over each of them. Congregation, Christ's interaction with James and John could possibly be one of the most difficult teachings from the mouth of our Lord to hear in our age. Did your mind just slip out? Or did you hear what I just said? Christ's interaction with James and John could possibly be one of the most difficult teachings from the mouth of our Lord to hear in our own present age. The evangelical and reformed worlds have been flooded with what I refer to as Christian gurus who market themselves as Christian celebrities boosted 
and elevated by who? The Christian public. The Christian community. These people love to market and promote themselves along with their followers as the authorities on everything Christian. They crave for attention. Paul Woolley, the first generation historian at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia and a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, commented about the evangelicals in the 1930s into the 1950s. His comment is classic needs to be heard again and again. These evangelicals love to read about themselves in the newspaper. Well, today we have an abundance of evangelical and reformed gurus who love to listen to themselves on their own podcasts and enter into the media of what I like to call shared ignorance on message platforms. With the continuing advances of social media, the fascination with human personalities will only dominate the Christian landscape more and more, hurting, hurting the true ministry of the institutional church that Christ set forth in Holy Scripture. I say hurting but not killing because Christ has promised that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Christ. Now I ask you, are you participating in the words of our Savior to James and John? Or are you just disconnected? Totally disconnected. Does Jesus really care about their status within his kingdom? In fact, this might shock our evangelical and reform worlds. And perhaps it may even shock some of you Christ is driving home to the hearts of the church and believers one simple point. How do any of these status makers demonstrate the life of self-denial? What does Jesus truly care about in your life? Hint, it has been his obsession from chapter 8, verse 27, all the way through our text this morning, 1045. Mark gives attention over two chapters to this obsessive subject of Christ. What is it? I repeat again. For the sake 
of your soul. Your soul. Dying to the self. So that you will be in union with Christ's path to Jerusalem. Living the life of persecution, suffering. What does Jesus say? Taking up your cross only to be rewarded by resurrected, exalted glory in Christ. In Christ. Christ came. Christ's call in this section Remember the rich young ruler? It's right there. Christ's call to come, follow, and receive him is to surrender and abandon yourself to the absolute dependency upon the Holy Spirit as the Spirit places your heart. The Spirit places your heart, your life, in the arms of Christ who has gone ahead of you. Christ has taken the path that he prescribes for every believer. There's no excuse. There is no excuse. You have heard Christ's map out the path. You cannot claim here this morning, congregation, that you're ignorant. you're ignorant not at all pray and ask for the spirit's dominance dominance over your daily journey so that being a disciple of Christ is your honored position in Christ's glorification Christ has been telling us that this path radically, radically changes the dynamics of homes. Is it? What's your home look like? Since we started this path in the eighth chapter. Gee, I want want the preaching to touch me. I want it to touch me. What's your home look like? Christ can't be any clearer. He can't be any clearer. How about your relationships with others? How about the work environment, the marketplace environment? And most importantly, how's the church environment? How's the church environment? How is the life of self-denial that Christ prescribes?
alive in your life. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we pray continually that our hearts would not block thy spirit, the spirit of Christ and the pathway of his life unto us. We ask, O Lord, that you would give to us the continual blessings that are overflowing from heaven itself, that we we do have the means by thy spirit to hear and not be ignorant, to live and not be slothful. We have that which is before us in our Savior. We ask, O Lord, that you would give to us the strength each day to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in your name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit unto our redemption. In Christ's name, amen.